presentation. You're very welcome to start at your convenience. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for the for the welcoming words. My name is Thibault Crenelconte. I am the CEO of Sanofi in South Africa. Honorable Dr. Subongizeni, Shlomo, Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Health, Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee on Health, please allow me to take this opportunity to thank the Portfolio Committee on Health for allowing Sanofi to make oral representation in respect of the National Health Insurance Bill. Sanofi welcomes the release of the bill and expresses our support for a universal healthcare system, which provides for a more equitable distribution of healthcare resources to achieve the constitutional mandates that underpin this. Medicines are key enablers to ensure that the introduction and delivery of the NHI package is a success, as without sustainable access to quality medicines, improvement in health status via the NHI will not be achieved. Sanofi plays a significant role in the supply of medicines to both the public and private sectors in South Africa. Sanofi South Africa is a leading pharmaceutical company in the private sector and the leading provider of vaccines, tuberculosis and epileptic medicines to the public sector. Since 1953, Sanofi South Africa has been a reliable and sustainable supplier of these quality and affordable medicines to the government of South Africa. Today, Sanofi South Africa continues to be a proud partner of the Department of Health. We have made it our mission to be a key partner that thrives to improve the health sector for all South Africans, irrespective of their financial background. Sanofi notes the intention to introduce NHI in a measured, progressive, and financially sustainable way, which is important for improved access to healthcare for all patients. This needs to be achieved while ensuring the continuation of existing and viable healthcare businesses that can help solve public healthcare challenges in both the short and long term and contribute to much needed economic growth and job creations in South Africa. Honorable Dr. Glomo and member of the Portfolio Committee on Health, please allow me once again to thank you for the privilege of your time this afternoon. Please take this opportunity to work with us as we share ideas, vision and streams of, the, of partnership, as I believe together we can change the healthcare paradigm for all patients. Before I hand over to the team, please allow me to introduce them to you. I have with me today Prudence Celani, Communication Head uh, at Sanofi, and Gavin Bauer, Market Access Head at Sanofi. I will now hand over to Prudence Celani, who would share with you who we are and our heritage at Sanofi in South Africa. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Can I just say that Dr. Gloma is just on another platform. This is Dr. Jacobs, Honorable Dr. Jacobs, who is chairing uh, this session. Just for your awareness, thank you. Please continue. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Honorable um, Jacobs, Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Health and Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee. Thank you so much for the opportunity. 
I will now share with you um, an overview of who we are. We have been present in South Africa since 1953. We are ranked number one multinational pharmaceutical company and the third largest manufacturer after two leading local manufacturers. We have a total of um, headcount of approximately 600 employees. This accounts um, for employees at our industrial site and as well as our head office. Our head office is based in Midrand. We, we are recognized as one of the largest employer, employers in the industry and one of the few multinational companies with a local manufacturing plant. We pride ourselves as a business that is locally and so, uh, socially and economically relevant to South Africa. We have a diverse product portfolio, which cuts across to uh, 15 therapeutic areas, uh, including innovative and generic medicines. Our portfolio seeks to address South African healthcare needs in key therapeutic areas, such as diabetes, mental health, TB, rare disease, and vaccines. Our business not only caters for patients that access healthcare in the private sector, but we also cater for the majority of the patients who access healthcare in the, private in the public sector. This is also supported by our local manufacturing site, which manufacturers and packages a wide range of pharmaceutical uh, products. We are recognized as a global center of excellence for the production of TB medicines, which we are exporting in 13 countries, including Europe, Australia, UK, and Brazil. Additionally to what we are producing, um, the TB medicines that we are producing, we also produce epileptic medicines, antibiotics, and medicines for central nervous system with a dedicated complementary medicine facility for production of consumer healthcare product range. Our employees in the industrial site come from a nearby community in Mamelodi. We, we really pride ourselves for being able to create opportunities uh, for that community. Our presence in that community makes a huge difference. That's who we are and the recognition that we, and the contribution that we make to the South African population. Next slide, Gavin. Thank you. We have a long-standing partnership with um, BioVec, which spends a decade, um, which spends uh, over a decade. This public-private partnership involves technology transfer as well as human expertise. With this few uh, partnership of this nature, which has actually been implemented globally, Sanofi Pasteur uh, technology transfer to BioVic is one of the most innovative vaccine globally as it covers a six in one um, a vaccine um, which has actually been launched last year um, by the minister um, Blade Zimande. We really pride ourselves of this technosphere uh, as we view this long-term partnership with BioVic as being essential as it builds capacity and expertise within South Africa for the long production, uh, long production of vaccine that would supply Africa and potentially to the world. This actually creates opportunities um, for local manufacturing. Next slide, uh, Gavin. Thanks. Sanofi is a member of three pharmaceutical industry association. We are affiliated to um, the Innovative Pharmaceutical Association of South Africa Pharmaceutical Made in South Africa, the Self-Care Association of South Africa. And as such, Sanofi supports the national submission of, of um, this trade association. 
we additionally support the national submission of the pharmaceutical task uh, group as well. Next slide, Kevin. Thank you. Therefore, if you look at this slide, I mean, it tells you our understanding of and the support of why we're supporting the national health insurance. If you look at this uh, slide and, 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 and the need to address the inequity through universal access, regardless of the ability to pay, we have 16 million population, which 84% of the population access healthcare in the, in the public sector and only 8.9 million of um, lives uh, access the public sector, I mean, the private sector, which equates to about 60% of the population. Therefore, we understand the need of why it is important to be able to create a universal healthcare system that provides for a more equitable distribution of healthcare resources to achieve the constitutional mandate that underpins this. As Tibo had initially um, said that our support is actually um, important, uh, but it has to be created in a sustainable manner, which involves various stakeholders uh, to partner with. We have seen this through various interaction that have been created from a private-public uh, partnership that have created initiatives that have been sustainable for the betterment of the healthcare system in South Africa. I will therefore now hand over to Gavin Bauer, who will take us through to the rest of the presentation. Thank you, Chair and Honourable Members. Uh, we will now proceed to address the substantive issues from the Bill. We've consolidated our comments into various buckets and specifically focused on medicine-related issues as a consequence of the NHR Bill. So what we've done for you, uh, we've structured it in a certain way. You'll see the logic in a minute. But to kick it off in the interest of time, we really believe that the NHI Fund should be a 3A uh, institution in line with other institutions like SARS and the UIF and the Council for Medical Schemes. Secondly, a key underpinning thought in terms of addressing challenges in the bill that we have is a lot of mention is made of affordable, and we believe this needs a specific definition in the bill, as if you're going to limit patients' right or access to certain baskets of care based on affordability criteria, that affordable must be defined in the bill. If we look to where we need to go forward in terms of designing the comprehensive benefit package, we need to uh, be very strict around developing that package based on our local burden of disease, our priorities in terms of health outcomes, and we need to make sure that we do not limit patients' rights in a way that cannot be explained or is not transparent. So that process of developing the com comprehensive benefit package really needs to be explicit so that we know what's included and what's excluded and for what reason. If we move forward, um, sorry, let me just move forward. Um, from our point of view, we are really proposing that we do not base the procurement of specifically medicines on a winner-takes-all tender. We will elaborate a bit further around this, but we do not believe that a single procurer procuring uh, from a single supplier is the best to ensure security of supply for particularly medicines. To support procurement in a progressive way, we believe the inclusion of PPPs should be a cornerstone of NHI development and implementation. And like Prudence was referring to, we have a partnership with BioVac, and that could also serve as a model going forward for NHI procurement of medicines. 
We also have um, some concerns around NIP obligations. NIP obligations are a requirement in medicine tenders today. And we believe that the NIP obligations and criteria should be revised in line with NHI procurement because um, the reason being that we cannot have a situation where security of supply medicines is compromised through lowest price procurement. And on top of that, we may have additional NIP obligations which are unclear from the bill at the moment. If we move forward, we really see a situation where um, each sector today, whether it be the private or the public sector, has specific strengths and weaknesses. And we really believe that the NHI bill should uh, build on the strengths of each sector while addressing the challenges that each sector has. So this is not about a situation where we can start from scratch. We really need to build on what we have in both sectors at the moment. We also firmly believe in, in Section 9 that while we understand from the bill that there's specific timelines that are being put in place, we would rather see a situation where NHI development and implementation should be milestone-based as opposed to specific time. We believe if you implement milestones as building blocks, that will accelerate NHI as opposed to setting specific dates which may or may not be achievable. We also believe um, that, like previous speakers today have spoken about, is that NHI development and implementation really needs to take into consideration the outcomes of the health, health market inquiry. And we'll speak a little bit more about what we believe specifically should be implemented from the health market inquiry in parallel in terms of the implementation program. If we move forward, um, specifically what issues from the health market inquiry would we like to see incorporated into uh, the NHI bill? We firmly believe that risk equalization needs to be implemented within the NHI bill. This will equalize risks uh, or health-based risks, whether they be national, provincial, or district, because we do believe that certain districts or provinces or sectors of a country do face different burdens of disease in varying ways. Therefore, a risk equalization mechanism is required. We'll talk quite a lot about health technology assessment, and we do support the implementation of health technology assessment through a defined explicit process linked to fund procurement. In other words, the reason for doing health technology assessment would be for inclusion or purchasing from the NHR fund. And we do believe from the health market inquiry that the outcomes monitoring and reporting organization is a real requirement as a building block for NHI going forward. To be more specific around HTA, um, we believe HTA should be done and on an explicit independent basis. In other words, the example could be that this institution is separate from the fund. It makes uh, objective recommendations based on evidence-based medicine and that recommendation can then be either adopted or refined by the NHI fund. But the belief is that an independent body doing HTAs on an explicit basis is required in the NHI bill and uh, supporting NHI fund purchasing of medicines going forward. If we move to um, procurement, um, we really believe that the NHI fund should have a coordinated central function that looks at all health-related products and the procurement thereof, and that the procurement of health-related products is transparent and coordinated. And 
is available for everybody to see what has been purchased for what reason. So we believe a centralized coordination, coordination function in the NHR fund is really required. We also believe that there is no one-size-fits-all mechanism to medicines procurement. And the example is we would want to see a hybrid of purchasing models for medicines in the NHR fund. For example, you could have a combination of negotiated prices, uh, tendered medicines, and then uh, uh, a process of procuring medicines on, on an outcomes basis. So we believe a hybrid of purchasing models is required for medicine purchases from the NHR fund. We do not believe that using medicine price as the sole determinant of procurement is correct. We believe that medicines should be procured using evidence-based medicine as an explicit procurement consideration, because we do believe that medicines offer benefits beyond normal commodities that are procured by public entities. Um, like we said, we want a hybrid purchasing model for medicines. And again, we do not want uh, medicines to be procured on price alone. We believe there's other considerations which are more important. And we do believe we need an ability to negotiate medicine prices and that those negotiations should be done at either district or DHMO models so that we allow each uh, area to procure medicines in a way that they see fit and we don't have a one-size winner-takes-all tender, which doesn't allow access to different type of medicines in support of the benefit package. Um, if we focus uh, members uh, in terms of the benefit advisory committee, we believe that the Benefit Advisory Committee needs very structured public participation in a transparent way so that everybody and all stakeholders know how the benefits were derived, what was included and what was excluded and what, what uh, reasons were provided, one for inclusion and two for exclusion. So we really believe public participation in an explicit decision-making process is required. We also understand that um, when making decisions around healthcare, we make decisions and different. Mr. Bauer, yeah. you seem to be losing. Uh, we seem to be losing you. Can we try one more time? And if not, is there anyone else from your delegation who can do your presentation? I see. I see Ms. Salami. Switch off your video, rather. Okay, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. Much better, thank you. I apologize for that, Chair. Um, so just to focus on the Benefits Advisory Committee, um, obviously we're saying it needs to be have public participation, it needs to have explicit uh, criteria for inclusion and exclusion, and we believe that the Benefits Advisory Committee requires a pharmaceutical representative so that the interests uh, can be explicit and also from an oversight point of view to have input into these benefit advisory decisions. Um, if we go forward, one of the key criteria is when we have a comprehensive uh, benefit package, 
we must allow for patient exceptions because um, each patient is different. And those patient exceptions need to be managed on an evidence-based medicine level. So where patients require medicines that are not standard of care and there are no alternatives, those patients must have an opportunity to access care beyond what's in the current package. And those decisions must be made on evidence. One of the key issues we propose is that the NHI does not procure EML medicines only. We believe that a broader basket of medicines is required to treat all patient needs beyond EML. And we believe that the NHI fund should have the discretion to purchase medicines beyond the current EML. And we also understand that we have different cross-subsidies between public and private sectors today in terms of medicine pricing. And we wouldn't want to see the introduction of NHI disrupt those cross-subsidies because we, will, we believe that a disruption in those cross-subsidies will cause uh, pricing to move in unintended ways. Uh, coming towards the end now, uh, bear with me, there's three more slides. So what we really do believe is there's a direct need for NHI to, one, recognize the inclusion of orphan diseases. These patients, while they have very rare diseases, these patients need access to care. And in the current system, these patients are left behind when no care is provided for these patients. So we believe that orphan uh, medicines and orphan drugs need to be included in the benefit package and that we develop specific inclusion criteria for orphan diseases in the package uh, with clear definitions thereof so that these patients can be treated in terms of their disease which are not treated today. Um, we market going forward. We do not believe that having the world-class NHR system without sustainable supply, particularly from a medicine's point of view, is the objective of the bill. So our point is we want a sustainable hybrid medicine pricing model that allows us to secure security of supply for medicines and be sustainable in the long term. Um, you could see one of the themes from our point of view is explicit definitions. And one of the issues we raised from the bill is there's reference to health products and health-related products. We need clear and explicit definitions around these uh, uh, areas so that we know what is included and what is not included in the benefit package and what is referred to with a health product or a health-related product. We also then raise some issues around saying there needs to be alignment between existing legislations and that needs to precede NHI introduction. We see some inconsistencies in, in how this can happen and this needs to be addressed. The final point here is to say we need some alignment and integration of existing social security net institutions to enable NHI. The example here is how are we going to incorporate uh, workman's compensation, how are we going to incorporate the road accident fund programs into the development of NHI going forward. And my final slide from our point of view is if we implement NHI, NHI should be an enabling factor for broad patient access without rationing or limiting patient care. And we do not want to ration versus existing levels of care. So we wouldn't want to disrupt patients who are on care at the moment in the public or private sectors through a rationing process within NHI. 
And therefore, the benefits package needs to be very comprehensive and explicit. And then we do believe as a final thought that complementary private health insurance should be a patient choice and that we believe there's a role for the private sector health insurance market going forward to complement the NHI package. Uh, with that, I hand over to Thibaut to uh, make you the closing Thank you, Gavin. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Committee. Next, next slide, please. Gavin, next slide, please. Gavin, can you stop sharing? I'll share from my side. Because I think there's a problem with this now. Okay, well, I'll verbalize, you know, the, this uh, last uh, two slides. So the first, uh, the first closing comment is that uh, Sanofi has offered uh, uh, a few substantive uh, uh, recommendations which are aligned with uh, what has been submitted as well throughout the different pharmaceutical industries that we are members. Um, what we suggest is, is a need for a tiered or a multi-layered healthcare system uh, which advocates for the complementary role of uh, private uh, medical schemes alongside the public sector and an NHI fund uh, for the uh, unemployed. Um, third uh, closing statement is that uh, uh, whatever NHI model is chosen, uh, I think it's very important to recognize the, the link between the public sector and the private sector when it comes to pricing. And one uh, is uh, supporting the other from an overhead cost point of view. Uh, therefore, today there is intricacies between the two segments, though the pricings are different uh, within those two sectors. Last slide. Um, uh, so two additional closing comments. Uh, the first one is that um, you know, the pharmaceutical sector is a, is a well-established partner to the government. Uh, and uh, this is one of the few industries that currently provide goods and services to both the public and private healthcare sectors. And last comment, uh, Sanofi looks forward to partnering with the government uh, to continue engaging uh, you know, to, towards this dialogue and create a sustainable NHI business model uh, that can support, uh, you know, um, efforts to ensure secure, affordable and accessible medicine supply uh, as part of a viable, sustainable and workable NHI system. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Committee, for your attention. Thank you very much. Is that the end of your presentation? It is, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate you coming to present today. We have the following members who would like to present questions to you. Uh, the first one is uh, Honorable Munyai. Second one is Honorable Sukacha. Third one is Honorable Maklengwa. Uh, Fourth one is Honorable Harvard. So I'm going to repeat. One is Munyai, two is Sukacha, three is Klengwa, uh, and four is Harvard. Any other members who would want to raise questions to the presenters? You can shout here on this platform and I would recognize you. Thank you. And then I would ask a question or two towards the end. Thank you very much. In that order, order uh, honorable members, if we can 
please ask those questions. Thank you. Honorable Chair, my, my first question is the following. Uh, Sanofi is suggesting a, a two-tiered, multi-layered uh, healthcare systems. Uh, are you therefore suggesting maintenance of the status quo, meaning a fragmented healthcare systems with one uh, for those that are socioeconomically advantaged and that of the poor and unemployed? That's the first question. So the, the second question, Honorable Chair, it is the, uh, how does Sanofi, uh, how do you suggest uh, uh, that risk equalization be implemented as the NHI fund uh, provides for the mechanism through risk cross-subsidization? Uh, how do you expect NHI to achieve this objective? as a single supplier. If you didn't hear question very well, I'll be glad to repeat. Honorable Munye, please can you repeat the last question? The last one, how do you suggest, uh, uh, how do you suggest risk equalization be implemented as the NHI fund provides for that mechanism? through risk cross-subsidization. How, how do you expect NHI to achieve its objective as a single supplier? Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. I've also got one question. Uh, uh, on public-private partnership, on which aspects of the NHI fund are you proposing that this should be located? Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much, Chair. First of all, let me welcome the presentation from Sanofi. Let me welcome the presentation from Sanofi. My question, I have one question to you. What impact does the son of think the NHI will have on its business in South Africa? And how will this affect the pricing essential medication? Can I repeat? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear we Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Honorable Chair, I have one question for presenter. Do you support the objects of the bill of addressing the injustice of the past using the principle of equity, justice, and social solidarity? Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, honorable members. Uh, we are a bit early. Are there any members who would like to do any other question right now before I will uh, raise my questions? 
Do you mean follow-up questions, Chair, or can you do I have a follow-up question, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Sukacha first, and then Honorable Munyai. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. My um, uh, follow-up question, uh, um, I, I just want to check, is it your understanding that the NHI fund will have the freedom to, to procure medicines that are not registered by SAPRA? Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, as the multinational organization originating from the European Union, does Sanofi identify, jointly develop, and implement purchasing models anywhere in the Europe? Thank you, Honorable Munyai. Are you done? Yeah. But perhaps if they, I may repeat if they didn't understand the question very slowly. The other one, Honorable Chair, is the following. Do you think the pharma industry must be represented in the Benefits Adversary Committee? Or should it be experienced in the pharmaceutical area independent, independent of the industry that must find representation in the Benefits Adversary Committee? I'm done, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Munyai. I have a, a number of questions which I would like to raise. The first one is in terms of the provisions in Section 38, uh, subsection 1. I'd like to hear what your proposal is in terms of the economies of scale to drive down costs. And, the, and what would you then suggest that the fund uh, should operate outside the PFMA or National Treasury? and uh, outside the PPFA or the triple uh, FA, and maybe I should just say what that is, the Preferential Procurement Policy Framework Act. And then my second question to you is that uh, on the HTA, the bill is explicit that the HTA will be located initially within the fund. Is it your suggestion that you would want to have an explicitly defined independent HDA at this stage? And would you like to give examples of the countries which implemented this independent of, of the funds? Uh, and uh, also, is there no option in your proposal for progressive realization of this capability? I have two more questions for you. My uh, next question is that from your presentation, there is a sense that you believe that certain illnesses will be excluded from the review of the back. Um, which conditions are you concerned about? And do you think that the back or the benefits advisory committee that is supposed to base the decisions on evidence and clinical appropriateness will not be in a position to exercise this responsibly? And as a very good yes, Honorable Munyai. Uh, I thought uh, I forgot another question that I need to ask. Let me ask it right now. All Is Sanofi right. willing to subject itself to the international benchmarking of its product? Thank, Thank you. you very much. All right. Thank you very much. Those are the questions which were raised. Uh, you're very welcome to come and uh, and. Uh, uh, 
answer those questions. Thank you very much. Well, th thank you, Chair. L lots of uh, lots of questions. Uh, indeed, how much time do we have uh, to answer the questions, uh, Chair? Please. Well, actually, you have been allocated until uh, 15.45. We're very early, so you have enough time to answer those questions. And while we're at it, we'll probably look at getting the next group to present a little bit earlier. Um, and let me just have a quick look what the answer is from the secretary, and it will answer. I'm sorry, I just need to do this. Um, there's a possibility that we will start early members once we are done with the presentation from Sanofi Aventus. And uh, yes, you have enough time to answer all those questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, well, a certain number of questions uh, touching different uh, different thematics of, uh, of, of the bill. Um, maybe what I suggest, uh, given prudence, is, is maybe to start with... Uh, I don't. We can do this in order or by thematic. What uh, What do you suggest we do, Gavin? Uh, Prudence. Okay, so um, I count uh, eleven questions. Yeah. And I suggest um, I will answer one specifically, and then I will defer where there's other specific comments. Um, so, in the interest of time, I would ask go with the last question first. In terms of international benchmark pricing, we are subject to international benchmark pricing in the private sector today. For all our new molecules that are introduced, we declare our international prices for our new in introduction medicines. And this has been happening since 2005, post the introduction of the SEP regulations. So we do subject ourselves to international benchmarking in the private sector today. And we do know that our public sector prices are below our private sector prices. Uh, in terms of the benefits advisory committee, in terms of including specific diseases, the evolution of new medicine is evolving. So for getting new treatments for cancer every day. Um, so we have a belief that those new medicines should have a role to play if they provide significant value and that the benefits advisory committee needs to obviously react to that introduction in a structured way. So the, the, the implication is not uh, chair a situation where the Benefits Advisory Committee will not apply evidence-based medicine. We just believe that the speed of introduction of new alternatives has to drive, one, the participation of, of the pharmaceutical industry in the back, which answers question seven, but does not imply that we think that the back will specifically exclude new treatments or treatment alternatives. We just believe the speed at which decision-making needs to happen in healthcare necessitates a very responsive back. Uh, in terms of uh, question eight, in terms of PFMA and the prevailing regulations, where we see contradiction chair is if we have a complementary health insurance environment where medicines are then procured at a different price point or in a different mechanism, how does that then support the NHR fund? Do we leave it as a single exit price, which is separate from government procurement today, or do we include it uh, in a different manner? So our concern comes from where does the, the PFMA start and end in relation to the whole healthcare system? And we're a little bit unclear around that. In terms of uh, where is HTA 
uh, applied in international models. Obviously, NICE in the UK is not part of the fund. They independently advise the healthcare system in the UK. And in Germany, you have an institution called ICWIG, which obviously advises their multiple funds in Germany as to should they procure or not procure specific technology and or medicine. So there are international precedents for independence in HDA. Um, uh, the question around European purchasing models, um, Sanofi participates in many countries uh, in terms of Europe. And in Europe, there are many multiple ways or hybrid ways of purchasing medicines, whether they be tender, negotiated, evidence-based procurement. So there are multiple international precedents for a hybrid system in terms of medicines procurement. In terms of question four, honorable, minister, uh, honorable member, we do believe in social solidarity. Um, we do believe that the funding of NHI will introduce the social solidarity required, one, from a funding point of view, and two, once the comprehensive benefits are defined, that social solidarity will be built into the benefits on offer in NHI. Um, I leave comments around business impact and pricing to Thibaut, uh, PPP. I'm going to comment on risk equalization, uh, finally, from my side. Um, if we take a view that the fund will be uh, strong enough to absorb any financial risk uh, based on any disease burden, I think that may be problematic. In, for example, if we take KZN, KZN has got uh, uh, one of our highest disease burdens if you look at communicable and non-communicable diseases. If the NHI fund takes a view that we're going to pay a per capita fee to KZN, knowing that KZN has a higher burden of disease, we're going to be in a situation where that KZN uh, funding subset will run at a loss because they obviously have a greater disease burden and their case mix will be different. So one, as a recommendation, we do believe that case mix adjusted capitation fees is a requirement in NHI, and that should lead to a very easy ref calculation to say, well, if, if Northern Cape has a lower disease burden and KZN has a higher disease burden, we are risk equalizing one within the fund between provinces or between diseases. Okay, so as a high level recommendation, we do think that is a way to implement REF uh, as a practical example. Uh, I leave question two and three to Thibaut or any other comments from Prudence? I'll take uh, I'll take the question on on the impact on the business. I think uh, um, very good question. And when we look at uh, the bill, uh, we see uh, a lot of opportunities uh, from a, from a business point of view, um, uh, meaning that uh, uh, creating uh, uh, affordable and uh, extended access to uh, to medicine is is something that will that will benefit the whole industry. Um, I think if we speak about uh, expanding access uh, to uh, to medicines, but also uh, creating better outcomes overall. Uh, you know, the whole system uh, will be beneficial patients, but also uh, the the industry. I think what uh, what's important uh, when we say that is is uh, is to be able to uh, not looking only on price because price is only one component of. Uh, of uh, you know what makes a, what, what makes a business sustainable uh, it's also to look at outcome you know how can the industry and uh, you know the, the 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 well the system and nhi can work together in order to uh, to have different kind of uh, 
KPIs, key performance indicators, uh, which are focusing more on patient outcome and not necessarily on price. And uh, patient outcome can be also uh, you know, measured uh, economically uh, overall uh, as well. Uh, so that's that's one element. Uh, I think when it comes also to uh, to uh, to uh, to securing supply to the to, to the to the country, uh, especially when we are talking about high disease burden, uh, it's important that uh, that uh, that we have a you know long term perspective from a, a supply uh, standpoint and a demand standpoint, so that uh, it can be also sustainable. So if NHI focuses on on high disease burden and and basically the whole industry is going to be supporting uh, you know programs uh, to tackle those burdens, it will be very important to have uh, a procurement system uh, that will be beyond the price uh, and the duration of two years, which is the case today, which is not a sustainable way of looking at it. Uh, if we put it in a longer perspective, this could be, uh, you know, very, uh, very, uh, uh, um, um, I would say, beneficial for patients, for the system, but also for the uh, for the for, for the industry, uh, what you know the key word out of this is sustainability uh, and predictability, so that uh, we can also plan investment. Uh, you know we are locally producing key medicines uh, locally, uh, therefore making a link between uh, you know what is produced locally for tackling disease burdens is also very uh, important. Uh, you know to ensure sustainability uh, of uh, of uh, of the whole model uh, there. Uh, I think the question was also related to impact on pricing. I think pricing today, we are uh, providing affordable medicines to the public sector, so we can do it. Uh, it's, it's already one of the most affordable prices in the world. Uh, let's put it this way. So, so we are capable of operating with, uh, with low prices. Nonetheless, uh, this is also today uh, uh, sponsored or, or uh, 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 there is a, a, a close link with the private sector in order to, um, to, to, to manage the resources and the cost uh, overall. So the differences in terms of prices support and help us to have a, um, a situation that, uh, that enable a, a tier pricing approach, uh, you know, both for the private and, and the public sector. Um, Prudence, you, you want to complement uh, maybe on the, on the other questions? So on the question that was raised by Honorable Munye in terms of like, do we want to maintain the status quo as it is? No, we don't want to maintain the status quo as it is. What we're saying is that it is important to have the national health um, um, insurance, to have the universal access uh, to health for all, um, but you can't do one over the other. So we need both private and public sector, but more important to also bring in innovative medicines into the public sector as well. Um, all patients should be able to access medicines irrespective of their financial background. Whether they access healthcare in a public sector or in a private sector, they should be able to be able to access um, the healthcare that they need. Therefore, there has to be a balance between the two, uh, but more importantly is that the majority of the patients that are accessing um, uh, the healthcare in the public sector should also be able to access innovative medicines in the public sector. There has to be more molecules that are introduced into the public sector that would support these patients. Just uh, to address question five around uh, should the NHI fund purchase unregistered medicines? We do know that there are very specific uh, disease areas where there is an unmet need where, where the fund would, would be required to purchase unregistered medicines 
while those medicines are, are going, undergoing a review. We do know that the review process in South Africa is, is quite uh, long versus uh, international benchmarks. So there will be a requirement, if that doesn't change, to purchase unregistered medicines in line with what's in the comprehensive uh, benefit package and as per the recommendation of the Benefits Advisory Committee. Um, so I think that uh, covers all the 11 questions, uh, Tiba and Chair. Thank you very much. We have uh, just two follow-ups. There's a follow-up question from Honorable Munyai, and I just want to raise two points with you. Honorable Munyai. Thank you very much indeed, Honorable Chair. Uh, my questions are, are very simple. How do you uh, propose uh, that the NHI fund can be sustainable without an element of rationing? Can you give, give us an example of a country that has a system such as NHI that is not rationing? The private sector through the medical schemes, it's also using rationing for sustainable considerations if you can answer that question. But the other one will go to uh, Mr. Laconte as to in Europe, such as France, for instance, does the multinational uh, corporation in big pharma that are based there participate in major policy influence, such as NHI? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Munyai. I have just two points I want to raise with you as a follow-up. And thanks for your response on the HTA. But uh, yeah. as far as my knowledge goes, I, I, I know that the NICE, NICE was introduced about 30 years after the introduction of the NHS. And uh, would you have any comment to, on that? And then you've said so much on international benchmarking, and we understand it in the context of what it is being said. But uh, why is that happening only in the private sector and, uh, and not so much within the public sector? If you can give me a comment on that too. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Um, I will, will comment on rationing and I will comment on benchmarking. Um, we have in the public sector been benchmarked when specific tenders have arrived. In the past, there were specific uh, benchmark prices set and we were measured against international benchmarks when presenting a public sector price in terms of tender. So has it happened as a standard process? Probably not. Have we experienced it before? Yes, we have dealt with the National Department on specific benchmark uh, exercises for specific tenders. Uh, in terms of rationing, uh, the comments Sanofi makes around rationing is from a position of two things. One is we agree with you, there's no health system in the world that cannot ration, agreed. But the comment we made is we cannot ration patients away from what they currently have access to. So if you've got a well-treated, well-controlled patient, either in the public or private sector, if we ration below what they currently have, that'll cause major concerns in terms of progressive realization of healthcare and access to healthcare. So, uh, honorable member, I'll answer your question to, in, in two senses um, to uh, answer that question. Uh, I'll leave the European policy question to Tiba. 
Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, um, uh, committee and members, uh, for that question. Um, what what's, uh, what works, uh, you know, in uh, in France, for example, and and don't 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 uh, you know believe that everything is perfect, uh, you know, in those countries either from an access perspective. Uh, I think that one of the one of the things that uh, that really stands out is the collaboration between. Uh, the government, uh, the parliament, and and the industry by particular areas, by uh, specific conditions, uh, where uh, the understanding uh, of uh, of a specific condition um, uh, basically is shared among you know many many different stakeholders, and this is where you know the industry is also playing a big a big role. I can give you the example of uh, you know oncology and uh, you know development of. Uh, of specific uh, excellence uh, center in order to accelerate uh, access to innovative medicines uh, in, uh, in, in the country uh, so that uh, um, uh, even though the products are not necessarily registered, they can benefit to specific patients in needs. So there is a, a very close collaboration between uh, the industry at very early stage in developments uh, uh, that is uh, enabled uh, through the system. Um, so that's more from a care point of view. The collaboration is very strong and enables, and, and the policies and, and, the, and the work uh, enables to do that. Uh, from a policy point of view as well, I can give you one, one example of a, a very uh, strong success at a European level, uh, which is uh, you know, related to one of uh, the uh, points that we have submitted in our submission, which is a rare disease uh, policy specifically focusing on, on those patients who have rare conditions. Uh, this policy was made uh, available uh, to those countries 20 years ago uh, already. Uh, and this was the result of close collaboration between the industry and uh, policymakers in, uh, in, at European level uh, in order to look at uh, the need for those patients and what can be done to accelerate access to uh, to, to life-saving medicines uh, for their conditions. So, so these are specific, you know, examples where the close collaboration between, uh, you know, the industry and uh, and the government can can really strike uh, high grants, uh, grounds for 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 patient uh, uh, outcome and uh, and uh, and better care uh, overall. Thank you very much uh, for your presentations, for answering those questions. Members, I don't see, I don't think we have any other follow-up questions, and I don't think that uh, the presenters have other answers they want to present to us. So let me thank you very much for coming today to present, and uh, we do take note of what you had presented, and uh, you're welcome to stay or you're welcome to, uh, to leave as you wish to, as we will now receive our next group of presentations. And uh, we are very uh, fortunate uh, in terms of the work, that's proactive work that is done by our secretary, that we are able to take the next presenters right now, honorable members. Um, yes, so thank you. Thank you. Yes, and uh, thank you, Mr. Leconte and uh, your group. If, and you will, as I said, you're very welcome to stay if you wish to. Uh, Ms. Majalamba, if we can get that presentation, probably uploaded already. And uh, if we can get uh, the members who will be presenting from IPASA, you're very welcome to, uh, to let us see who you are and to introduce your team very quickly. And then
let's get started with that presentation. Thank you. We can see your screen. So if we can get uh, the people who will be doing the presentations. Ms. Majalamba, can you assist me? Yes, I'm trying, Dr. Jacobs. I'm not sure what you know because they are. Okay. All right, thank you very much. Good afternoon. Is my is my presentation visible to everyone? Yes, it is. And thank you very much for your willingness to come a bit earlier. We do appreciate it. Uh, you're very welcome to say who are here with you on the platform from your group, and then also to continue with the presentation. I am Dr. Jacobs, and I am chairing the session. Thank you very much. Honorable Chairperson and members of the esteemed Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Health. I greet you all and would like to express the gratitude of the Innovative Pharmaceutical Association of South Africa, IPASA, <coughs> for the opportunity to present to you today. My name is Olihile Bada Parasi, the Chief Operating Officer of IPASA, and I am accompanied by my colleague, Mr. Aluani Musaisi. Our presentation will go through the following points. <clears throat> I'll touch very briefly on IPASA and its economic contribution to the country. Then what we see as essential requirements for achieving sustainable universal health coverage and our commitment to UHC. I'll touch on our commitment to collaboration and innovative social partnerships, the principles which form the basis for our supporting government in achieving NHI, IPASA's position on evidence-based medicines and treatments, and finally, the challenges we see in the NHI bill as it, as it is currently formulated and our proposed remedies or recommendations. <clears throat> the details of our position on the bill are contained in the formal submission which has been shared with the Portfolio Committee Secretariat. IPASA represents 26 international companies that develop, make, and sell new medicines, devices, and vaccines that help people to live longer and more fulfilled lives. We innovate in response to unmet patients' needs 
when we develop new treatments. We also support innovative solutions to our country's most pressing healthcare challenges. And that is why we are here. We want to work with parliament, government, and all other stakeholders who are committed to help realize the health rights, our constitution and the sages. Our most important role will always be to develop new medicines and vaccines, whether it is for diseases that have challenged doctors and patients for many generations, such as cancer, or for new threats such as COVID-19. We must always be ready to use the latest science to respond to old and new threats to lives and livelihoods. However, our contributions to society go beyond life-saving products. Here in South Africa, our members sustain 14,000 direct and indirect jobs. We have invested over 1.3 billion rand in local manufacturing capacity, and our local production is already valued at almost 18 billion rand and growing. Most importantly, we invest hundreds of millions of rands a year in research and development, a massive contribution to local science. In order to contribute to the realization of the health rights described in our constitution, we believe the NHI bill needs to reflect six essential requirements for sustainable universal health coverage. These requirements are that, firstly, the NHI bill must support the progressive realization of health rights. It must create a healthcare system that provides value-based healthcare and empowers our healthcare professionals with access to evidence-based formularies. This, in turn, will demand innovative pricing, novel access solutions, and alternative reimbursement models. Universal health coverage depends on procurement models that contribute to the sustainability of the private sector, including funders, service providers, and treatment developers. Such models would also contribute to security of supply. Health technology assessments must only be undertaken by an independent entity that undertakes assessments based on the value-based nature of healthcare. Finally, and critically, universal health coverage can only be sustainable if it is implemented in a stepwise manner that is supported by economic growth. We will expand on these six critical requirements in the rest of the presentation, as well as in the amendments to the bill that we propose. <clears throat> we wish to assure this House of IPASA's unconditional commitment to universal health coverage. Developing, producing, and distributing medicines and vaccines that save lives and alleviate suffering is not only what we do, it is who we are as an industry. That is why the innovative pharmaceutical industry is working with governments and civil societies around the world 
to realize the global ambition of universal health coverage. Innovation will be critical to achieve that. COVID-19 has demonstrated the power of diseases to destroy lives and livelihoods. It has also shown that a well-supported innovation industry can respond quickly to new threats to humankind. Thanks to massive investments in innovative new technologies made over many years, long before COVID-19 emerged, our industry was able to develop vaccines against COVID-19 within months after it first broke out. Without the investment in innovation, the pharmaceutical industry had made over the past decade, the world would have had to wait many more years to fight back against the pandemic. If we are to overcome the challenges and pandemics of tomorrow, we have to invest in innovation today. We recognize that not all South Africans have access to our latest medicines and vaccines, and that access to healthcare in South Africa too often depends on how much money the patient has. <coughs> Excuse me. We want to be part of the effort to create a more equitable quality healthcare system in our country. We know that this will take social partnerships that are as innovative as our treatments. For that reason, we are committed to collaborating with government, civil society, and above all, to help realize the health rights of our constitution and visages. COVID-19 has also shown what can be achieved when stakeholders put their differences aside and work together to achieve a goal that is much bigger than any individual, organization, or country. We will need this level of cooperation to achieve universal health coverage in South Africa. Honorable Chairman, I believe it is very important that we take you, the Honorable House, through the journey of our medicine from its conception. And this slide depicts exactly that. The rapid development of the COVID-19 vaccines is all the more remarkable when one considers how long it normally takes to bring new medicines to the patients who need them. The process starts with pre-discovery when doctors figure out how diseases work and scientists begin to look for chemical and biological compounds that might have an effect on the cause of the illness. This typically involves scientists investigating 5,000 to 10,000 compounds that they suspect might work. However, this number drops sharply to about 250 over three to six years of preclinical study. That is a phase when medicines are developed and tested in laboratories before they can be evaluated in human beings. Typically, only five compounds will make it to human trials. Over the next six to seven years, the potential new therapies are tested first on tens, new treatments have, been, have proven safe and effective, will then be submitted for 
approval by the regulatory authorities, a process that takes between six months and two years or even more. After 10 to 15 years of work by thousands of people and around a billion dollars invested, only one or two of the original 5,000 to 10,000 drug candidates eventually make it to the pharmacy shelf. This long and expensive development process is the lifeblood of our industry. It is essential that the developers be given an opportunity to market their products exclusively in order to recover their costs and maintain their ability to develop new medicines. However, as soon as that period of exclusivity is over and the developers have hopefully recovered their costs, other manufacturers get the right to produce generic versions. In other words, our investments not only develop our new own new product pipeline, it also provides new opportunities for the generics industry. This is a slide that explains some of the processes around technology transfer mechanisms globally. The medicines patent pool is an example of various forms globally, various forums globally, which facilitate technology transfer so that through voluntary licensing, the owners of the intellectual property for the manufacture of innovative medicines enter into agreements which allow generic manufacturers to copy their products. To date, the medicines patent pool has signed agreements with 10 patent holders for 13 HIV antiretrovirals, one HIV technology platform, three hepatitis C direct acting antivirals, and a tuberculosis treatment. When one looks at the local scenario, from this slide we can see, this is an example of generic partners in South Africa or operational in South Africa. We have been licensed by innovative companies to produce their products. Four of the companies appearing on this slide have a presence in our country. Let me get to our principles and promises. When we reiterate that we are committed to supporting government in achieving universal health coverage, we do so based on three principles. And at the same time, we make three promises to you as representatives of the people of South Africa. Our first principle is our belief that UHC is a direction, not a destination we need to be realistic. Government cannot realize everybody's full spectrum of health rights overnight. But we agree with the Constitutional Court that you have a duty to enact legislation that will progressively give people more of the care they need as more resources become available. Our second principle holds that Health is an investment, not a cost. Just consider the return on investment of vaccines. The polio vaccine costs very little, but saves a lifetime of pain and rehabilitation costs. 
Even insulin, which can be quite expensive, can prevent an amputation. A simple beta blocker may prevent a stroke. We know that poverty is both a cause and a result of poor health, but the reverse is also true. Better health improves productivity and will help avoid potentially catastrophic expenditure. Health has an impact on the entire economy, and it is important to consider the impact of innovative new medicines, not just on the health budget, but the entire national financial well-being. Our third principle recognizes that new medicines create new treatment opportunities. But to ensure that as many people as possible benefit from them, we need equally innovative social partnerships. It is hard to develop new medicines and to ensure that they are universally available will not be easy either. So we need to be innovative to look for what can be done. We have to practice the art of the possible. So just as we promise to use science to change lives, we commit to help develop systems that will improve the well-being of the entire nation. And yes, we will tackle the problems of access and affordability head on. Indeed, we are committed to making a positive contribution to the process and are determined to work with you in the interest of all the people of our country. For the past 60 odd years, the scientific discipline of health economics has demonstrated over and over that two things are essential to make the most of a limited healthcare budget. Firstly, your healthcare professionals need to be empowered to prescribe the treatments that have been clinically proven to be the most appropriate when and where the individual patient needs it. Secondly, those healthcare professionals must be measured against the patient's health outcomes. It is thus not surprising that the competition's inquiry into private healthcare strongly insisted on the establishment of an entity that would be tasked with measuring patients' health outcomes. Countless studies have shown that with these two measures in place, exactly what the NHI needs gets to be delivered the best possible value. Quality of care improves, patient outcomes are better, and critically, there is less waste. The reverse is also true. When doctors are forced to prescribe treatments that are cheap rather than clinically appropriate, or if the disease is left to get worse while the patient waits for a specialist or approval, the quality of care deteriorates, patients suffer unnecessarily, and the healthcare system wastes precious resources. Unfortunately, this is exactly what will happen if the bill in its current form is implemented. The insistence on cheap rather than value-based healthcare is costing our country dearly today and will continue to cost lives if the bill as it stands is implemented. 
We therefore ask you to read the bill with one question in mind. Does it focus on cost to the extent that resources and human lives will be wasted? Or does it give our doctors and nurses the power to prescribe treatments that can strengthen our healthcare system as much as they heal patients? We implore this house to think of this question specifically when you consider what we see as a six key weaknesses in the bill as it stands. To achieve our objectives, that is our proposed amendments, which are contained in an addendum, which is quite detailed, they, they strengthen the bill in five key areas. That is our proposed amendments. One, first and foremost, the constitution demands that government implement legislation that progressively realizes health rights. In contrast, the current bill is a threat to a thriving private healthcare sector, including funders, manufacturers, and suppliers. The Competition Commission recommended several measures that would strengthen the contribution the private sector could make. Instead, the bill severely restricts the private sector, taking away its ability to provide the services that it currently offers. This constitutes regressive legislation that our constitution forbids. As outlined in the slide above, optimal value is the, the result of an evidence-based formulary and a system that is measured on patient outcomes. Our recommended amendments include globally accepted definitions of value-based value care and evidence-based medicines. We also show where those need to be included in the bill to ensure optimal value. Thirdly, the single exit price has served its purpose. We now call for the inclusion of alternative reimbursement models and ask that the proposed extension of the single exit price should be removed. This will greatly improve our ability to introduce new potentially life-saving medicines. Fourthly, it is important that the procurement model opted for provides for the sustainability of the private sector, including the innovative manufacturers, the funders, service providers, and treatment developers. Firstly, we disagree with including health technology assessments in the ambit of the NHI and ask for an independent health technology assessment entity to be established through separate legislation. International best practice has shown that this would contribute to ensuring that healthcare products are assessed according to the nature of value-based care. Finally, we propose language that will ensure that NHI is ready to provide the services to our people as the constitution demands, rather than according to arbitrary timelines. In other words, NHI needs to be faced in according to benefits that are set and comprehensively provided rather than based on fixed timelines. In conclusion, honorable chair and honorable members, 
allow me to reiterate the following points. IPASA supports national health insurance for the adjustments that we have outlined. IPASA is committed to the principle of achieving equity in the provision of healthcare services and believes that the adoption and implementation of alternative reimbursement models will go a long way towards ensuring that all patients, regardless of social status and ability to pay, have access to our members' innovative medicines and technology. We believe that NHI should be implemented in a manner that safeguards the security of medicines supply and improves our ability to introduce new, potentially life-saving medicines. In the new, in the new clip's judgment, Judge Singh overruled as follows at paragraph 525. Access to medicines presupposes the availability of medicines. And the availability of medicines presupposes the existence of a supply of medicines. Without the supply of medicines, there can be no access to medicines. The pharmaceutical industry is a source of that supply and thus the availability of medicines. Honorable Chair and members, we thank you for your time and the opportunity to present to you. Thank you very much, Mr. Parasi. We appreciate you coming to do your presentation here on behalf of uh, IPASA. We have some interactions which our members would like to have with you and raise some questions with you. <laughs> and I'm going to give the follow the order of the questions. It is firstly Honorable Lengua, Honorable Ismail, number two, Honorable Sukacha, number three, Honorable Temba Guayo, number four. Any other members who would like to ask questions, you can raise your voice on the platform now. Me, my good say, Chilizimiai, Honorable Chilizimiai. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Munyai. Any other members would want to ask any questions to the presenters? In the absence of which, we will follow that order. Thank you. You can start, Maklengwa. Thank you, Chairperson. First of all, let me welcome the presentation from IPASA. Thank you. I have two questions. Does IPASA think that NHI will help to lower the cost of drugs and make them affordable? And how will this affect the business model of its members? Thank you. Um, good afternoon, and thank you for the presentation. Um, I just have a few questions. Number one, in the NHI public hearings, a lot of inputs mentioned that the NHI will stifle innovation. Now, being an, an innovative organization, do you agree with the statement? If so, um, please explain it. If not, why not? My second question, in your opinion, does the NHI make room for support uh, innovation in health? My third question, 
with the amount of SIU investigations in the health department and government, what's your view on the bill giving the minister the right to establish the board and related entities? Would you agree with this in the bill, or rather agree that the boards be elected by and answerable to parliament? My fourth question, what's your view of the impact of around um, plus minus 104 billion rand in legal costs due to medical negligence? Now, taking this into account, what's your view of how, of how the NHI will be negatively impacted in the long run? And my last question, what's your view of the NHI pilot projects? Were they successful considering pilot studies possibly had very few features of the NHI? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Good afternoon, Mr. Parasi. My homie. My first question, uh, uh, Honorable Chairperson, is that uh, I see Mr. Parasi have made a recommendation for alternative reimbursement models to be considered. My understanding is that this is attended to in the bill. I noticed that this will be considered by the healthcare benefits pricing committee as outlined in section 26 of the bill. Then my second question, uh, Honorable Chairperson, uh, to Mr. Parasi is that, uh, what is innovative medicine unregulated? And then the last question, uh, what statements in the bill drives the thinking that innovation will not be encouraged. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. I've got only two questions. The first one is, what is uh, your contribution towards the development and manufacturing of the uh, vaccines, more specifically with reference to COVID-19 vaccines? The second one, in connection with the development of a new medicine, which takes an average of 10 to 15 years, how flexible are you to shorten this period in order to accommodate unforeseen emergency occurrences of health-related mishaps, as it is with the case of COVID-19? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Uh, my first question is that uh, to be passed as the following. You argue that the bill is regressive since it does not allow private sector from providing its current services. My understanding is that NHI splits, splits functions between funding and service provision. Are you aware that section 372 outline how all providers, including pr private providers, will be contracted across different levels of care. I'm sure if you are aware, you'll answer. This section is also supported by section 57, 2B, subsection 2B, and 57, uh, 4, subsection F, as well as in the memorandum of the objects of the National Health Insurance Bill uh, of 2019. 
does this address your concern? You have made, the other question is that you have made a recommendation on value-based care. Uh, we are interested in the clauses in the bill that guide us as we listen to the, to the hearing. Are you aware that section 10 outlines the function of the fund, which state that amongst other things, healthcare service providers, health establish, establishment and suppliers will be paid in accordance with the quality and the value of the service provided at every level of care. And I'm sure if you read the bill um, and internalize it, you wouldn't have missed this section that I talked about. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chair. But maybe it's important uh, before uh, I also uh, conclude, just to give you maybe a last question. You have requested, you have requested um, on, on, uh, on the ongoing consultation with all stakeholders. Section 27 point out that stakeholders, stakeholders advisory committee will be established comprising of the representative from the statutory health professional councils, health public entities, organized labor, civil society organization, associations of health professionals and providers, as well as the patient advocacy group. Does this not address your question? Thank you very much, um, Honorable Chair. I may come back for follow-up. Thank you, Honorable Members, for your questions. Are there any other members who still want to ask any questions? No. I have a couple of points I want to raise with the presenters. Uh, the one is on your recommendation of an independent health technology assessment agency. And uh, I want to know whether your suggestion is not covered under section 57.3, subsection 3C, which outlines the transitional arrangements, the ministerial advisory committee on health technology assessment, uh, which will be established uh, and which will serve as a precursor to the health technology assessment agency. And then, um, also, in terms, in terms of that point that was raised, the bill is explicit, and I'm going to just call it the HTA, is, is explicit that the HTA will be located initially within the fund. Is it your suggestion that you'd want to have an explicitly defined independent HTA concurrently as the fund is established? And can you give us examples of countries that implemented this independent capacity concurrently with the implementation of the NHI fund? And is there no option in your proposal for progressive realization of the HTA capability? We're also mindful that uh, NICE in the UK and, and the HITAP in Thailand, which uh, were introduced uh, as, as, as separate entities, but when they were introduced in relation to the UK NHS and the Thai NHSO, uh, the question is actually when were they introduced in relation to the UK NHS and the Thai NHSO? And uh, 
it is our understanding that it took more than 30 years for NICE to be established. And it took more than 10 years from 2007 for the ITAP to be an independent standalone entity. And I hope that you will give some uh, input with regards to this. I, have, uh, I also want to speak about the phased implementation of the NHI. Are you aware that parts of the bill address this matter in Section 57? In particular, it outlines the transitional arrangements pointing out the phased implementation of the NHI. And this is supported by the memorandum of, on the objects of the National Health Insurance Bill 2019. And uh, two more points from me. Does IPASA have concerns that the NHI Fund for South Africa will only procure generic uh, medicines? And what is IPASA's views on access to medicines that are IP protected? Thank you very much. Any follow-up from any of the members at this point so that the uh, presenters can answer all these questions at once when we are through with these questions? At this point in time, any follow-ups? And if none, uh, you're very welcome, Mr. Parasi, to continue and uh, provide some clarity to the questions which were raised with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Chair. I will request my colleague, Mr. Alwani Musaisi, to answer the questions while I catch my breath. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Bada. Thank you, Honorable Chair, and thank you, Honorable Members. So I'll take some of the questions and refer uh, some of them to Mr. Parasi. So, uh, Honorable Khiangwa, you asked, does the uh, does the pass a thing that the NHI will lower the price and therefore affect the, the business model? I think there are definite concerns that we see in the, in the bill. And the concerns stems from, in a number of areas, the bill talks about you know, procurement based on the lowest possible price. And that at times, obviously, the lowest possible price may not necessarily be the price that is sustainable. And as Mr. Parasi presented, one of the things he noted was the judgment held by, by, by the judge around, you know, availability and that, you know, access uh, requires availability and availability requires uh, being able to supply. And therefore, a business model has to be sound to can be able to continue to, to supply. And your second question was also around, you know, will the NHI stifle innovation? I think we, 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 we definitely do have concerns in a number of areas in the bill. So one of the references in our presentation, we spoke to the idea that our HCPs have to be empowered to have a broad formulary that allows them to be able to prescribe based on evidence-based medicine. But for the most part, when we read the bill, a lot of the times it refers to formularies that are limited, mostly only looking at costs. And so that becomes a concern in terms of the question becomes if the price of a medicine is not the lowest and it's, most, it's maybe a more innovative kind of molecule, will it be included? And how will it be included in the, in the NHI? And maybe I'll even add here that for the most part, as we all know, and we know the work is still going to continue, is that none of us have seen how the benefits package of the NHI is going to look like. 
but maybe reading some of the principles that tend to go more towards the lowest possible price that then gives uh, concern for us as, as an industry. Uh, and on, on uh, Honorable uh, Ismail, you asked about, yeah, you're the one, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, you asked about room for innovation, um, uh, whether we see any room within the, 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 the NHI, as it were. I think, uh, like I noted before, for the most part, the way the formulary is set or the principles of setting the formulary or the principles around procurement, they do not sound to give much more room for how you know more innovative kind of medicines are going to be uh, to be dealt with. And you also had a question around the pilot, uh, the, the pilot studies or the the, the pilot uh, program of the NHI. Our understanding is that most of the pilot uh, programs did not go as successfully as as they were planned. And I think that. Uh, I might be wrong, but I do think that there was not a lot of reflection after the pilot studies in terms of what are some of the lessons learned and how can we take those uh, lessons forward. And then there was a question around the the, the, the powers of, of of the minister uh, and, and in relation to maybe investigations around SIU. I think this is perhaps maybe a very difficult question that requires all of us, all of us as the whole of society to really think about what kind of accountability mechanisms can we put in place that will ensure that we avoid you know, the scourge of, of corruption at, at, at different levels. Uh, but I think as a general principle, the idea will be the more independent you have institutions, uh, the better you have in terms of accountability that you can have in those kinds of institutions. But I think that is the question that I'll leave to the House as you reflect on what kind of a mechanism Parliament would like to set in, in terms of ensuring accountability. The other question was really on uh, medical legal bills. And on, on the medical legal bills, maybe if I can also make another note here would be that we have seen that over the years, a number of provinces have struggled with medical legal bills. And... And that has also tended to, to eat away at budgets that are allocated into taking care of patients. And so in, in terms of that, I think uh, we do need to move to a place where we find uh, a new way that we measure uh, uh, outcomes uh, in our healthcare system. And here, maybe looking at the health market inquiry in terms of what they've set out in terms of uh, outcomes uh, measurement uh, agency that they wanted to be, to be set out that could be a way of also minimizing this. Uh, moving to Honorable uh, uh, Sokocha, I hope I'm not meddling your name, my apologies. You, you asked about whether we thought uh, the bill made room for alternative reinvestment models. I, 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 I have to say, we do not think that the bill does make room for alternative reinvestment models maybe in the sense of what we, we are looking at. Because in, in the private sector today, you have the single exit price, which is, a, which is a very rigid system that does not allow for alternative reinvestment models. And in the current bill, the proposal as far as medicine pricing is concerned was that there also needed to be a single exit price for the NHI. And that for us will not be uh, what we will define as an alternative reinvestment model uh, so to speak. Uh, um, 
And the, there was also a very practical question on what is uh, innovative uh, medicines. So uh, the, I would say the simplest way of defining an innovative medicine would be uh, the way Mr. Parasi went, took, took us through the journey of a, of a molecule, which would be basically discovering a new medicine, a, a medicine that didn't exist before uh, from beginning to end. So that would be different uh, from a generic, as it were, which is basically a medicine that is pro that's produced after the initial discovery that was made. So innovative, really, you start, I could say you start with a blank slate, uh, and then you develop that molecule until it becomes a cure, a cure uh, as, as, as you showed the, the, uh, the, the slide on the, on the journey of a molecule. And the, there was a question on our contribution as an industry to, to vaccines. And I would say as an industry, we are very proud that over the years, our investments in the space of vaccines is really that what has allowed us to can be able to uh, respond to the COVID-19 challenge as, as it were. So for the most part, most of our member companies have actually engaged in uh, uh, in research and development programs to find uh, vaccines for, for COVID-19. So if you look at our members and you look at the number of vaccines that are available today, most of them come from our member companies. And you also still look at the vaccines that are still under development at the moment. Uh, most of our member companies are still participating in this space. And I'll even add that some of our member companies are also involved in, in, in research and development that is looking more at therapeutics for for COVID-19. Then on the shortening of the time period in terms of flexibility uh, and, and, and response to COVID-19, I think uh, that is a question really, that is a broader question beyond the industry itself, because it's also a question about regulatory processes that, that we need to follow. But it will be important to know that with the current pandemic, uh, regulators around the world have been very flexible in terms of how molecules have been approved. Uh, for COVID-19 vaccines. So they have shown that flexibility. But in terms of the normal course of doing business, I think this will, be, will have to be a, a broad conversation with, uh, uh, with regulators across the world in order to be able to get to maybe a shortened time, time period, as it were. Then, uh, Honorable Munyai, you had... Uh, a number of questions about maybe our earlier comments on the regressive nature of 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 the NHI and uh, and that and how did we see this perhaps as becoming a, a regressive uh, situation? I think uh, top line the question that we 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 all have to ask ourselves is for the patients who are today receiving the kind of treatment that they are receiving in the private sector. Uh, say, for instance, in terms of the formulary that the NHI is going to have, let's say a patient's uh, medicine is not included in that formulary, uh, how are we going to deal with that? Will that not be regressive? And to the best of my knowledge, I do not think that the NHI bill in itself says that anybody receiving private healthcare today will be guaranteed that they will continue to receive the kind of uh, benefits that they are receiving today. But that is, of course, a principal question that we all need to ask ourselves. Are we going to leave patients well off 
or are we going to take away from some of the benefits that patients are, are getting? And I think honorable members will reflect on this and then weigh all the, the, the pros and cons and, and, and find a way of moving forward. And maybe most importantly, this could also be linked to the section 33 discussion around what is going to be the future role of uh, the medical schemes. Because as it is today, they play a, a role uh, in taking care of, of patients, but section 33 basically say that they can only be able to provide uh, services that the NHI fund is not going to, to provide for. Uh, and uh, you, you noted, uh, while I read through my notes, you also noted the issue around stakeholder uh, engagement. And I think that uh, it, it's something that we welcome that there should be a stakeholder engagement uh, platform but we do think that, you know, at times we leave the private sector out because when you're reading the list of all the different stakeholders, there's no guaranteed seat there for the private sector. We, we kind of like have all the, the other uh, constituencies there. And even at times when we have private sector representation, we define it as just having one person from the private sector and, and, and representing everybody, so to speak. So, I think that, you know, we already have the platform. We just want to have to look at how do we broaden it so that it's inclusive of all the different voices. Because, for instance, if we say private sector and then you have a hospital group, that will not necessarily represent the interests of the pharmaceutical industry, so to speak. Um, and there, were, there was a question around quality of care. And, and you refer to the to the understanding that the bill says you know healthcare service providers will be paid or, or reimbursed based on the kind of quality of care that that they they they, they provide. Uh, I would contend that we also have a number of areas in the bill where we are looking at the lowest possible price uh, for for services rendered, and and maybe we need to juxtapose that with the kind of quality that patients are going to receive at the at the end of the day. Uh, and then chair, I believe, hopefully I didn't, I didn't miss any other, other questions. Uh, chair, you, you asked the question about the independence uh, that we, we, we propose that an HTA agency has to be independent. Uh, and definitely this is something that we think is very important to have an independent HTA agency. Uh, because in a sense, if the NHI itself houses the HTA process, then the NHI will also be acting in its own interest and not be able to manage all the different aspects of, of the different stakeholders. Whereas an independent institution will be able to then deal with different issues and balance all the, the different kinds of, uh, of needs from the, from the different stakeholders. And in relation to your question around, you know, the, the time it took to establish the, uh, the different funds, for instance, in the UK, and that in, in terms of the transitional arrangements, it might have taken long to be, to be frank, I do not, we, we do not know the exact timing that it took in the UK and other places to be able to set up those institutions. But we do think that given that we are establishing this system and having learned some of the lessons, for instance, from Thailand and the UK, where they now have independent kind of institutions, I think it will be incumbent upon us to learn from those best practices and already establish what we established with the kind of independence that, 
that, that is required to be able to reach our objectives. Then on, on the phased uh, uh, implementation of the NHI, I think we stand by our point that we think that the, 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 the transitional arrangements as they stand in the bill, they are more uh, timelines that says by this time, this is what, what we are going to implement at, at this time. And yet there are a number of questions that remain answered. Not the least of them is really the funding mechanism of the NHI. And in this, in this sense, the Davis Tax Commission did do some work and in their recommendation and some of the conclusions that they made, they said the NHI in its current form, uh, as it were, uh, it will be very difficult to implement because the funding envelope will, will also be a difficulty. So I do think that depending on the physical space that we have, uh, in the country. That's how we can face the implementation of the, of the NHI. Rather than uh, having a date that is said to say by this year, this is what we're going to implement. We do think that what the Davis Tax Commission recommended was, uh, was very prudent in that we have to implement based on our available resources uh, as we move along. Um, and the question around, does IPASA have concerns that the, N the NHI will only procure generics? Definitely, I would say we are, we are definitely concerned, Chair, if, if I were to put it that way, because if we were to look at what is happening today in the market and in the, in the public sector, predominantly the public sector is procuring more of your generic kind of medicines and in very few maybe areas where there's there's, there is procurement, whereas most of the newer, most innovative kind of, of medicines are, are not necessarily procured, even where the value uh, of those medicines far exceeds uh, the, the costs of, of those medicines. And references in the bill around, you know, the lowest possible price really gives us that concern and, and, and worries us that the sustainability of the industry could be under pressure. Uh, I hope I didn't miss anything, but my, my colleague, Mr. Parasi, can, can reflect where I've left some questions out. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Chair, I tried to check, but it seems to me that my colleague, Mr. Musaisi, has taken care of all the questions. Thank you very much to both of you. Uh, Firstly, for your presentation, I see, um, before I do that, I see there's a hand on the platform raised by Honorable Munyai. I'm first going to take that, uh, maybe there's a question from him, and then I will say what I was going to say. Honorable Munyai? Honorable Chair, my, my, my two questions were not answered, especially relative to the following. Uh, are they aware of Section 37? that outlines that all providers, including private, private providers, will be contracted across the different levels of care. This section is also supported by section 57, subsection 2B, and section 57, subsection 4F, as well as in the memorandum of the objects of the National Health Insurance Bill of 2019. Does this address their concern? The other question, you know, they have, you know, uh, you, you made recommendation on the value-based care. Uh, we are interested in the clause in the bill that guide us so, so that uh, that guides us as we listen 
that guide us as we listen to the to the public hearing. Are you aware that section 10 outlines the functions of the fund, which state that the among which state that amongst uh, just hold on a second. Uh, uh, okay, just a second, please. Um, I think I dealt with that. You have made a recommendation on value-based care. Uh, we are interested in the clause in the bill that guided or that guide us as we listen to the public hearing or to the hearing. Uh, are you aware that the section 10 outlined the functions of the fund which said that amongst others, uh, amongst others, the uh, things that are things uh, things that are uh, that relate to healthcare service providers and uh, health establishment and suppliers will be paid in accordance with the quality and value of the service provided on each and every level of the care. If they can also please uh, attend to that one. Thank you. Please continue to answer the questions. Thank you. If I may, uh, I'd like to deal with the second and third questions because I think they're quite related. Uh, we simply don't see anything in the bill that provides for value-based care to be assessed in a way that really ensures that we are looking at the outcomes rather than at what has been the service that has been provided. You will recall that the health market inquiry actually recommended that there be a body that it, it called the Outcomes Measurement Regulatory Organization, or OMRO, that would ensure enhanced decision-making in the provision and funding of healthcare. In other words, regardless of what, how much money has been allocated to treating a certain ailment, what has to matter to the health system is the outcomes. And that is something that's not happening at the current. We just feel that it needs to be emphasized and the health market inquiry actually did say that this should be considered. Mr. Musesi? Thank you. Um, maybe talking to the issues of uh, value-based healthcare again. You know, we we, we made uh, some proposals to the language. If you look at our slides on value-based healthcare, one of the things that we propose is that in clearly in the definitions, one of the things that we need to include is the definition of evidence-based medicine, uh, uh, as it were. And we need to also include the issues around value-based healthcare definition. And in section 25, uh, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, I hope I'm not meddling this, but section 25, uh, clause five, I believe, we, we even propose that, uh, you know, the benefits advisory committee must determine and review in accordance with the principles of evidence-based medicine. Because these were not, uh, necessarily the principles that were already reflected. And this is really where our input is, 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 is coming in in that space. And then the questions that you have around section 37 and, and, and section 57, as, as I reflected earlier on, 
I, uh, we are well aware of the role that the private sector is going to play in terms of what providers are going to do and what uh, 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 practitioners are, are, are going to do. However, we did know that as far as Section 33 is concerned, it does talk to the idea that there's going to be a limit in terms of what private health insurance, the role of private health insurance as it were. And even if we were to look at maybe a broader perspective from our side of the, of the, of the industry, there's still a lot of gaps in terms of how procurement is going to happen for medicines under the NHI moving forward. And if we were to assume the current system that we have, which is a tender-based kind of, of system, that will be a system that says we all have to bid. And then if you do not get that tender for the next three or four years, then your business may not be sustainable for that time. We are all well aware that at this current point in time, the, 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 the industry, as it were, uh, we are also dependent on the, the private sector, as it were. So if you do not have a tender in the public sector, but you have a medicine that really changes people's lives, you can be able to have that in the, in the, in the, in the private sector. So just as an example, let's say you have a, a hypertension uh, innovative medicine that is not part of the NHI formula. And we are saying that that same kind of medicine cannot necessarily be provided for by the private sector. And this is the limitations that we are referring to in terms of what the role of the private sector is going to be uh, moving forward in terms of what is articulated in the, in the bill. Thank you. Thank you very much. I would hope that your questions are answered, Honorable Munye. And thank you very much uh, for IPASA to come and do their presentations and to answer all of these questions. We, we really appreciate it. Members, uh, we have one presentation to go. And uh, the members from uh, IPASA, you're welcome to stay on to the platform should you wish to do that. We have Abbott Laboratories who will be presenting to us and our secretary uh, of the uh, portfolio has done a great job to have already invited Abbott Laboratories to come and present uh, as she anticipated that we were running ahead of time and uh, we are very thankful to her for having done that. I think I must also take this opportunity to thank our secretary, Ms. Wuyokaze Majalamba, for the sterling work which she is doing. Uh, we heard that today. It was raised by another honorable member who also thanked her. And also her assistant, Ms. Ms. Bali Magubane, and uh, the content advisor, Ms. Lendo Kufle Magubane, Mr. Zubair Rahim, and Moses Mwabe as our researchers. We should take uh, more time to thank you them, and we thank them very much, and we are grateful for the work which they do behind the scenes. So, so Ms. Majolamba, with that said, uh, do we have the presenters from Abbott Laboratories on board? Thank you. Yes, Dr. Jacobs, they are on the platform. Thank, thank you very much. We welcome the presenters from Abbott Laboratories. It is not our usual chairperson who is chairing today for your information. I'm Dr. Kenneth Jacobs, and I am chairing the session. You're very welcome to call me chairperson, and uh, you're also very welcome to come and present uh, and uh, to introduce yourselves, and we hope that you would have 
uploaded your presentation already. Thank you. Chairperson, thank you. Thank you very much. Hope I'm audible enough. You are, thank you. And we can thank see you well too. Okay, perfect. So, Honorable Chairperson, uh, I think, and to the members of the committee, let's first uh, say our heartfelt, I mean, thank you uh, for inviting us to, to do this oral presentation um, from Abbott. Uh, and while we are just loading the presentation, I will say that we, we are doing this oral presentation following the written submission that we had done to you. Um, with that, probably we will just start with some introduction in terms of who is on the call from Abbott. I'll start uh, by introducing myself. My name is Kululiwe Mabaso, Director of Government Affairs um, for Abbott um, in Africa. We also have our General Manager, Dr. Hanekom, uh, who I would like him to introduce himself, please, if he's already. Thank you, Kulu. And, uh, and, and from my side as well, I would like to thank everyone on the call for the opportunity for our Abbott Laboratories to, to have this few minutes to go through the presentation. And again, uh, you will see the presenters today that will go through the couple of slides that we, that we have will articulate um, how Abbott Laboratories sits in with total healthcare. It's not only pharmaceuticals, but the whole variety of of healthcare solutions uh, uh, that we can bring to the fore. Myself, as Kulu has said, I'm the general manager for uh, Abbott Laboratories or, or uh, as what we would call the AMI, Affiliate Management Representatives or similar to MD, and responsible for, uh, for the total affiliate uh, in, in South Africa and some parts of Africa. And again, it's my pleasure to have uh, our team here today to, to present to you the, the, the following slides. Kulu, back to you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I must say that uh, it's great to, to work with a general manager that is so, uh, I think, uh, focused on transformation and even on the, on the, on the NHI bill uh, itself in terms of he was the one that said, you know, we should get this, if we get this opportunity, we should grab it with both hands to, to come and present. So thanks, Abri. Uh, Robin, can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, good afternoon, um, uh, and good afternoon to Chairperson and Honourable Members. We thank you um, for your time. We understand it's been a long day. My name is Robin House. I'm uh, the Regulatory Manager for um, Core Diagnostics, um, and we look forward to uh, presenting you with our ideas. Thank you. Kulu? Thanks, Robin. Uh, Mixi? Honourable Chair and Portfolio Committee, good afternoon. I'm Maxine Smith. I'm market access for Abbott and the established pharmaceutical division. Thank you for the opportunity to share today. Okay. So I'll start by giving you just a, a little bit of overview about Abbott um, in terms of, of who we are. So I think it's clear that uh, our, our tagline is life to the fullest. And I think you life to the fullest would, is somehow very much linked to what NH, the NHI bill wants to do in terms of providing access and affordability to, to all South Africans uh, throughout. Next slide, please, Maxine. 
So Abbott in South Africa, you'd see that we've been around from the 1940s, over 80 years now. So operating in South Africa. So we understand the, the environment and we understand the work that needs to be done and also understand in terms of how it should be done in terms of in partnership as well with, with all other stakeholders. We are part of a global, um, I think, a global family. While we are uh, from the, the companies in the uh, U.S., we do operate in 160 countries uh, across. But for, for, from an emerging market standpoint uh, and Africa specifically, we operate in 54 countries in Africa. So we do understand uh, in terms of the how to provide healthcare to all the corners, I think, uh, in terms of where, where it's needed the most in emerging markets and in South Africa specifically. So as we have mentioned that transformation is part of our work, is part of what we do. It's very much integrated to, to our daily work. We don't see it as a side uh, job or, or as a side division. We are currently at level five in terms of BE compliance. We work on programs like the YES program, um, which is in the healthcare uh, sector as well. Um, and we have more programs on this. We are, of, I think we just had the, the presentation from IPASA now. Uh, I think we, we are proud to say that we are also members of IPASA and other trade associations like uh, Samed, Salda, uh, part of AMCHEM, not just members, but we are very active and we are aware of, you know, um, of, of the daily things that, that they try, I think, the engagements that, that they try to have with you and the government. So at, at Abbott, we have six divisions that um, actually contribute to, to the holistic healthcare system. So I would like to take you through those divisions. Next slide, please, Maxine. So firstly, um, we have rapid diagnostics. So I think one of, one of the things that not only we, we pride ourselves in, I think, but with rapid diagnostics, but when you, when you think of a, a product that can be used in everywhere in the country, even in places where there's no, in rural places or in places where there's no electricity or in places where emergency uh, where it's urgent diagnostic needs to be used. That's where we have point of care. And it's also great to say that we are the first company to develop the point of care for HIV in the world. So th that's our rapid diagnostics um, uh, division where you can get, where patients can get results within 15 minutes um, where, when they need to. So we also have core diagnostics. Um, obviously, where we work with doctors um, to, to diagnose their patients, but no, not only that, there's also a big part of it in terms of digital, digitalization in order to ensure that they, they provide the, the right uh, solutions which, which can be shared accordingly with the patients and allowing them to make uh, quick, quick decisions. Uh, we have molecular division, which is part, uh, again, part of the big labs. Um, but most, I think, specifically in terms of what we, when it comes to pharmaceutical, I think some of you might know Abbott is a pharmaceutical company. It's 
what we like to say is that we are we are more structured in a way or positioned to serve uh, emerging markets because our branded generic medicines do exactly that in terms of helping people to stay healthy with quality medicines that they can trust, very innovative medicines, but at, again, affordable, but highly innovative. We also have a diabetes care uh, division with all its latest technology and also every every technology and latest technology also available in, in SA for, for managing uh, diabetes from a finger streak to uh, what we call like freestyle libre uh, system. And lastly, it's the nutrition business. We have, I think most of you now, and then probably you might have bought for a family member or a friend, a, a tin of Ensure. Uh, so if you see that, that is part of a portfolio that we have under nutrition. So these are, are all the divisions that we have, and they help us really to, to ensure that we, we provide a sustainable health care. So next slide, please. So when it comes to our priority and, and our sustainability, I think we have, a, we have goals like all the companies. Um, in, when it comes to sustainability, we have set high goals and one of them for, I think, for 2030, uh, in terms of our sustainability goals, two words stand out, I think, as we present to you on the and about the NHI bill. It's more, how do you give people access to healthcare in the, in the most affordable way? So these words are also imprinted in our sustainability statement. That's how important they are, but not just do it in a way that it's affordable, but giving them the innovative, making sure that they get innovative uh, products so that they can transform their, you know, transform uh, chronic diseases from malnutrition or infectious diseases. And we don't just do this alone. Hence, we are here to say that we are here as partners. And we believe that through this partnership, we can actually uh, do, do more. So therefore, our sustainability goal positions us, I think, to be great, uh, to be a great partner for the South African government as it rolls out the NHI bill. And working um, with you to implement this, we believe that uh, this can be part of the universal healthcare coverage. Uh, and Robin will talk more about how we see universal coverage with the link to NHI. Thank you. Thank you, Kulu. And to, to echo those sentiments of sustainability um, at, at Abbott, we, we look forward to the engagement, you know, in the framework which supports social partnership, access and affordability, and certainly quality. We understand that it will help create stronger, more resilient and healthier communities by focusing on areas where we can actually drive pos positive social and environmental impact. We support the NHI, which aims to implement the constitutional rights of access to healthcare services, subject to affordability and within the available resources. We support the fund to take reasonable legislative measures and provide services within a reasonable time frame. We support the principles that the fund must be sustainable and based on analysis to ensure financial protection from the costs of healthcare to patients. Next slide. So from an Abbott perspective, when we uh, look to unpack the bill, we identified certain NHI deliverables. 
So we looked at the building blocks that would form a comprehensive healthcare system. So there's comprehensive healthcare service benefits. Uh, we looked at aspects of value-based assessments and outcomes um, and general aspects to access our health products within the NHI. We looked at possible service delivery solutions as well as governance. Next slide. So the first key principle for us was a, the comprehensive healthcare service benefit. So when we looked at this, we were unpacking how the benefit would be determined by quality and value. And for us, a key component to this would be evidence-based core principles and value-based care principles. So when we look at evidence-based medicines, it's really taking integration of clinical expertise, the patient values, and best available evidence in the process of decision-making related to patient health care. And from there, the guidelines which are formulated would be designed with the principles of evidence-based medicine. And underpinning this whole process would be an ongoing consultative process with all stakeholders. Um, and that's why we're appreciative we're here today to, to just reinforce how um, our commitment is to this process. But when we look at the package, we do see varying points made, one regarding when the bill limits care to what is medically necessary. So when we would look at evidence-based principles and health promotion and prevention, these go beyond what is necessary. And we understand that the role of the Benefit Advisory Committee would be to inform the benefit uh, package of a comprehensive service benefit. But we understand that there needs to be a clear mandate which would inform the evidence-based principles and that evidence-based medicine needs to be defined more clearly in the, in the bill. The next part, which is, is key, is the value-based assessment. And as we unpack and see in the healthcare system currently, there is a need for an independent HTA agency, um, which would, the mandate for the agency would be to ensure that we are informing um, evidence-based principles with value-based assessments and the outcome measures would be, would be uh, there to inform the benefit design. We know that this would need to be appropriate and not uh, increase complexity, but at the same time, this is also the recommendation of the National Health Market Inquiry um, in preparing the private sector for NHI. And it was clear that the Health Market Inquiry has, has identified that there were key areas around how do we measure cost-effectiveness, but also value assessment and ensure ongoing outcome measures. Another key component that we've um, identified in the value based is that it can't be a one size fits all. It would need to be a blended approach to both pricing and procurement to ensure that we're stimulating competition and innovation and value. Uh, so it's not only based on benefit on price, but we ensure multiple factors for consideration. And um, a key approach in um, um, middle and to low income emerging countries has been multi-criteria decision analysis where this approach allows us to mitigate potential adverse um, consequences where we are only making price-based decisions. And an MCDA framework uh, based on purchasing will enable healthcare stakeholders 
to maximally benefit in terms of quality and effectiveness of care and access for patients. And by doing a more blended approach to procurement and uh, pricing, this would allow us really to inform a national product health list um, based on these principles. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So when, when looking at access to, to our products within the NHI um, and the development of the national health product list, um, the Office of Health Products Procurement, um, as we understand it, identifies the specific tools used by clinicians in the healthcare journey. So we need to understand what informs these lists and who will actually execute the actual procurement. Uh, the bill currently is um, the Office of Health Product Procurement supports the Benefits Advisory Committee in the development and maintenance of these formularies. So at the moment, the formulary consists of the essential medicines list and the essential equipment list. Um, and it mentions as well as a list of other health-related products used in the delivery of healthcare services as approved. So from our perspective, it's important that the development of, the, of these product lists be on the basis of evidence-based medicines and perhaps go beyond the essential medicines list and essential equipment lists in order to provide, provide quality and value. And in so doing, we need to ensure the ongoing consultative approach with all stakeholders as per the administerial advisory committees and in setting the parameters of the national health product lists. Also take into account the complex professional clinical input uh, that is generally required by specialists and experts in a particular faculty of, medi of medicine on an annual basis as stated in the bill. Next slide, please. So when looking at pathology services, um, these are a vital part of any health system and needs to be responsive to the needs of the population and based on the burden of disease in a particular district. So at this point, we'd like to just get a little bit of insight into how these services will be procured, as well as the uh, provision of finances and contracts for the procurement of laboratory services and supplies from both the public and pri private sectors for the use at primary healthcare sites, as well as advanced centers of excellence where, for clinical laboratories for high throughput analyzers. So to sum it up, the value of um, of diagnostics, 60 to 70% of critical clinical decisions are influenced by diagnostic test results and facilitate the early intervention in the patient journey, as in the case with early cancer detection and therapeutic monitoring of glucose levels. We also look to diagnostics to promote preventative screening and monitoring of communicable and non-communicable diseases, which could impact the overall cost to the healthcare system. For example, the monitoring of um, markers such as cholesterol is proven to reduce the risk of heart attack or stroke. And in the South African context, and we've seen this in many, many years, where the success of HIV and TB program uh, rollout, where the community health is, is further strengthened through the way in which rapid point-of-care tests reduce the turnaround time of results such as HIV and TB, and will assist in the, in the CUPS in monitoring of epidemiological data for community health. So pathology really informs the evidence-based medicine to make therapeutic choices 
for appropriate medicines for individuals who do not necessarily respond to standard treatment options. There are further diagnostic challenges that we've identified um, in that they could be, they could require unforeseen expenditure in terms of instrument service and maintenance. In addition, the diagnostic uh, current algorithms vary between screening, confirmatory and differentiating tests. So this triage really enables diagnostics to support the community before they become patients and thereby circumventing the medical necessity and reserving resources for the current acute cases. We suggest that the healthcare services be designed accordingly to include pop population epidemiology and prevention of disease through screening and preventive diagnostics. Next slide, please. So service delivery is key to reaching our service objectives. So by strategic purchasing is a fundamental shift to ensure optimization of supply chain practices. At Abbott, we support the principles that healthcare goods and services, which are to be supplied at primary district, secondary and tertiary level. The bill has proposed that the direct delivery to accredited and contracted health service providers and health establishments, and this could be challenging for both suppliers and providers in terms of both administration and logistics. So we would look at careful consideration required in order to align the delivery notes with original invoices and in order to facilitate the payment in a timely manner and to relieve the healthcare practitioners of this administrative burden. So direct delivery to the end user could increase costs and be a bit chaotic as multiple deliveries for multiple goods take place on a daily basis. It would be recommended to have a strategically placed centralized distribution center to facilitate the receipt and final distribution of health products. It would also promote the capacity to deliver health products in a sufficient quantity and quality, as well as to provide reasonable guarantee of no interruption of supply. Innovative e-platforms could be utilized to enable the efficient receipt of goods in this way. At Abbott, we look forward to working closely with you in testing the effectiveness of the current health systems and identifying strengthening initiatives. Thank you. Next slide, Kulu. Thanks, Robin. So just maybe touching on, on, on governance as it's one of the key important uh, factors. So we do believe in good governance um, as, an, as it is important for ensuring that everyone receives quality life care sustainably. Therefore, transparency, accountability, and legal certainty across all audience of the state from the provinces to the national treasury is of the utmost importance, we believe. And uh, we also believe in building a healthcare system to meet its deliverables based on good governance, uh, best practices that, that can be used. Next slide, please. So as we conclude now our presentation, allow us to say that from Abbott, we would like to say that we continue to be committed to, to delivering a breakthrough products and which are very innovative to help the people of South Africa to live healthier, fuller lives. Uh, because this is what this is how we we have been, I think this is what we, we have, this is what we have been doing uh, over the years. 
through our divisions, as mentioned, in terms of the nutrition, diagnostics, uh, medical devices, and the special branded generic uh, pharmaceuticals, which we can provide quality medicines to everyone, which are affordable as well. So chairperson and the committee members, we would like to thank you for the opportunity of allowing us to present to you today. And we welcome any questions, if there are any. Thank you very much. We appreciate this presentation. And we do have some members who want to raise some questions. I'm going to name the members and then they will ask those questions, their questions in that order. First is Honorable Munyai. Second is Honorable Fengwa. Third is Honorable Sukacha. And then I will also follow up with a question. Are there any other members, who, honorable members, who would like to ask questions to Abbott Laboratories on their presentation? Thank you. Any other members? We'll, we will start with those uh, questions. Honorable Munyai, Honorable Sengwa, Honorable Sukacha. Thank you very much in that order. My first question is that the honorable chase that the since this is a multinational uh, company that is, is uh, started in Chicago, uh, did they provide some comments on Medicare uh, for all in the United States uh, and also in the UK uh, NHLS, if they can also cover that, that respond? My second question will be, uh, uh, did, they, uh, did they make I think they made a recommendation that an independent technology assessment agency undertakes the functions of the value-based assessment and quality outcomes for, uh, to inform the benefit design. If, you, if your recommendation not covered under section 57, subsection 3C, uh, which outlines the transitional arrangement where the Ministerial Adversary Committee on Health Technology Assessment will be established, which will serve as a precursor to Health Technology Assessment Agency. Uh, that will regularly uh, review the range of health interventions and technology by using best available evidence. If they can answer this, that question, that will be okay. Because uh, I know they are making a comment here uh, in South African NHI. I want to know whether the in other health policies such as the US and UK, they made such a recommendation. Thank you. Mm. Thank Hi, you. Um, yeah. We will ask Thank all the questions first, uh, presenters, and then you will answer all the questions after we address them. Thank you. Matlengo is next. Yes. Thank you, Chairperson. Let me welcome the report or a brief from the Abbott Laboratories. I have only one question. How does Abbott Laboratories think NHI will change its business model, particularly on the pricing of drugs and medical equipment? Thank you. 
Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Just one question from my from my side. Um, that uh, uh, I've seen the the presenter have requested an an ongoing consultation with all stakeholders. Section twenty seven points out that a stakeholder advisory committee will be established comprising of representatives from the statutory health professionals councils, health public entities, organized labor, civil society organizations, associations of health professionals and providers, as well as patient advocacy groups. Does this not address your recommendation? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, members. Are there any other members who wish to ask any questions? We have made up some a lot of time, and so we do have time for you to raise those questions. Do you have any? If not, I have uh, one question to ask, and, and it speaks to your product, your, your, your point on the products, uh, product list um, and your recommendation that you're saying it must uh, be based on evidence-based medicine, of course, and it must go beyond the, uh, the essential medicines list um, in order to provide quality and value. Is your request, my question is whether your request is not answered within section 38, uh, subsection five, which states that the Office of Health Products Pro uh, Procurement must support the review of the formulary annually or more regularly if required, um, and to take into account changes in the burden of disease product availability, price changes, and disease management for approval by the minister. So having noticed the point that you were making with regards to uh, evidence-based evidence medicine, yes, and we would agree uh, that it should be based on uh, the best evidence, but um, I, I, I am of the contention that it is contained in that section. Are there any other members as we uh, want to hand over the, to the presenters to answer the questions? Any other members who would want to raise any question? Thank you very much. You may uh, answer those questions, uh, the presenters from Abbott Laboratories. Thank you, Honorable Chair. This is Kulu. I'll, we will be answering the questions again um, as a team, and we'll just continue reintroducing ourselves as we answer the question and say which question number it is. So I think on, on, on question one, Honorable Chair. Yeah, can I maybe just intervene uh, there? I, I actually forgot that I have a number of other questions. I think let me ask those questions, not forgot, but I was going to raise them a bit later, but I think since you are going to be responding, let me all ask those questions now, if you don't mind. Um, the, the, 
The one question is uh, your view on access to medicines which are IP protected. It's a, it's a similar question that was asked earlier. Um, but uh, it would be nice for me to hear your view on that one. And are you open to voluntary licenses or, uh, or patient pooling, a patient pooling mechanism? If you'd be able to answer that question. Um, and then, uh, do you believe that the NHI will limit the quality of prescribing? And does Abbott concede that the competitive advantage of the private sector providers is their ability to negotiate prices with pharmaceutical companies which are kept to themselves? And does, uh, do you um, believe that this uncompetitive and non-transparent practice will be removed to the ultimate benefit of the recipients of the medications under the NHI as contained in the bill? The, uh, the fund envisages going for the most cost-effective price of medicines. And the question would be how Abbott is going to help with the innovative ways to make medicines available at cost-effective prices. There's also an, a tendency, unfortunately, to hold quality to ransom with throwing in the cost of price component. And most presenters highlighted the importance Innovation. Surely innovation is one of the best ways of ensuring a balance between the two and in the process ensuring both affordability and quality in delivery. I'm certain there would be follow-up questions from some of the, of the members maybe a bit later because we do have extra time and uh, also finish a bit earlier, sir. A follow-up question, sir. Thank you, uh, Honorable Sukacha. You may continue. Honorable Sukacha, you may continue with that follow-up question. Th thank you very much. I did not unmute myself. Thank you, Honorable Neville Chaperson, uh, uh, what is the view uh, of about uh, on access to medicines that are IP protected? Are they open to voluntary licenses or patent pooling mechanism? That is my only follow-up question, Chair. Thank you. Is that the only question, Honorable Subculture? Can I just ask you another one, Chair, uh, just uh, that I've scribbled here. Uh, uh, does Abbott uh, believe that the NHI will limit the quality of prescribing? And the next one, Honorable Chair, uh, uh, does uh, Abbott concede that the competitive advantage of the private sector providers is their ability to negotiate prices with pharmaceutical companies which are kept to themselves. Does IPASA not believe that these uncompetitive and non-transparent prices will be removed to the ultimate benefit of the recipients of the medications under the NHI as contained in the bill? I think that is the only thing.
Thank you, Honorable Sukacha. Uh, many of those questions seem seem to be uh, uh, yeah similar to questions asked before. Uh, please answer the questions, the representatives from Abbott Laboratories. Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Chair, and to the committee members. So I think with the with the first uh, question, um, we will definitely we, we do um, I think work with with our colleagues in the different countries in the US, uh, in the UK. I think um, I think even in Africa there are some countries that have started implementing. Uh, as, as similar initiatives, um, similar to the NHI. So we can reach out to them and provide what are the best practices and how ABOT works um, with those countries when it comes to um, national um, health insurance. And we, we are happy to share something which is written uh, back um, for your perusal for feedback um, after the after a few days from now. Thank you. The team will continue answering some of the questions. Honorable Chair, um, in terms of section 57 regarding the HTA, uh, yes, agreed, there's provision provided for an HTA um, um, precursor um, transitional arrangement for an HTA to be established. Our main point there is, you know, as we navigate the land, you know, the landscape of the bill and the structure, we're not sure where that would fit in. And we need it to be an independent established um, HTA agency that wouldn't be sitting within the fund, but would be a standalone um, a, um, agency that would be outside of the fund to be in um, informing, which takes away bias and it keeps it to be an independent body. So as we see the HTA agency is established, we're not too sure where it fits in, in terms of the construct um, from there. With regarding to the um, essential uh, base medicine list and, you know, the enabling sections which speak to um, cost effectiveness and the provisions made to ensure that there's an evidence base. Um, formally, we do agree that that is there, but regarding the ongoing consultative process really is about that often in the EDL and the EML list, we require a more formalized process. And we understand that this would have to um, be developed in the National Health Act and Section 90 provides for regulations on these two lists. But it would be more that these this process becomes more formalized and that uh, we do see the stakeholder ministerial committee having a role, which we agree um, you know, is, is a very vital part and how that would filter in to support the BAC and um, and you know the health the Office of Health Procurement um, in that part. I think another area which is discussed is how did we see NHI. Um, you know, what uh, in terms of our products, uh, pricing, what would happen there? Um, we do see that pricing is referred to in many different parts, um, you know, in terms of lowest price and um, a lowest price negotiated and potentially a single exit uh, price being established. Uh, for us, we uh, do see that this would mean uh, prices would be uh, decreased. However, we 
we just wanted to reaffirm the point of that it wouldn't be um, like a tender where it's just uh, one service provider, you know, being on the formula to allow for multiple service providers to, to be there and increase the volumes and capacity in which we can, can deliver. I think that answers some. With regards to the IP, majority of our medicines as well are um, off patent pharmaceuticals. We do stand in line with our EPASO position um, in terms of innovative, um, and we would be happy to get back to, in a formal response in writing in terms of the, the IP sections. I'm not sure if um, anyone else wants to add to that. Um, no, Maxine, I, I would just um, reiterate what you've said. I think we're in line with what uh, Ipasa says, says of that, and, and we will get back on that one as well. We'll do some more investigation. Thank you. Any other one from your group who want to say anything or to answer any of the questions? Nothing? Thank you very thank much. Thank you, we're done. Yeah. Thank you. Let me take this opportunity to thank you for coming today and to making your presentations. And yes, we're looking forward to the writing from yours as a formal response, as you had proposed. And uh, we have come to the end of today's presentations, honorable members, and uh, also those who have joined us on the platform. We are very thankful that you have taken the time to come and uh, present, those who did and those who came to hear. We, uh, we do appreciate you doing that. Just for the members, uh, as reminders for tomorrow, we'll continue with the NHI public hearings at uh, 10.15 tomorrow morning. We have three presentations then, and uh, we, we look forward to you joining us. And then at five o'clock tomorrow afternoon, we have a portfolio committee meeting, which uh, number one would be on the update on the vaccines and the vaccine rollout program. And uh, as number two, we'd get an update on the uh, Delta variant. And uh, that would be presented by our acting minister of health, Mama Loko Kubai Gubane. Uh, we, we look forward to, uh, to that discussion. And so, honourable members, we therefore had come to the end of today's uh, public hearings. And thank you once again. Uh, have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honourable Chair. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Chad. Jacobs, thank you. Thank you, Matlengua. Nice thank to see you. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice well, to see you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Stay safe, Matlengua, and everyone else. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think he's gone already. Oh, he's gone already. Good night, Jacobs. Good night, Matanga.
Thank you. Thank you.